I'm so excited to be nominated. It's just an honor to be nominated. Honor to be nominated. Hi, I'm Ezra. Hi, I'm Chandler. I'm Claudia, and together we are honored to be nominated. A podcast that goes through every movie that's ever been nominated for an Academy Award. Today we're going to be discussing the 1960 Best Picture winner, The Apartment, written and directed by Billy Wilder. I mean, what's it all about? The Apartment is a uh, romantic comedy, and kind of screwball comedy uh, from 1960, that is about a, a young, sort of working stiff named Bud Baxter, played by Jack Lemmon. Who works as an insurance clerk and in is a and uh, has this kind of nice bachelor pad out by the out by Central Park in New York City, and he's discovered that if he allows his uh, supervisors to use his apartment to uh, have affairs, uh, that they will kind of give him promotions and raises and things like that. So he has come up with this scheme where he like essentially will like pass around the key to his apartment and then go go for a walk while they uh, cheat on their wives. Essentially, he is the first Airbnb, is what I wrote in fully, my notes. Fully. <laughs> uh, but this all kind of comes to a head when a woman that he uh, has a crush on named Fran, uh, played by Shirley MacLaine, um, who he's my trying queen. to ask out, is uh, one of the women who's brought back to his apartment by his boss, who then breaks her heart and then she tries to kill herself. And so he arrives back on, I believe, Christmas Eve and <laughs> discovers that he, the woman he's in love with uh, is in his apartment almost dead. And comedy ensues. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, which it won. Best Director, which it won. Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Original Screenplay, which it won. Art Direction for a Black and White Film, which it won. Cinematography, film editing, which it won, and sound. So quite a few nominations, um, and I think I think it is a fun movie. I think it's a little wild for the time it takes place in. I don't know. I can't Crazy. decide. I can't decide yeah. if it's ahead of its time or if it's like slightly behind. I don't know. It's it's a fine line for me. What? It's definitely probably ahead of its time as far as like what they what they were showing on the screen, like what they're telling and talking about. I would say, right? Because it's very much like it's very sexually like sex is fine, let's have fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, men men yeah. are gonna you know, but the the story itself feels very ahead of its time just because it is kind of like unconventional. This is just a really <laughs> weird like s- set of circumstances that have kind of come together. But I also, like, I felt like this movie was almost a parody or almost a commentary on, like, what this this sort of situation was. But it's still, it's still too old for it to be considered a parody. I don't know. It just, it was like... Why do you think again, it's too old that, to be considered a parody? Like, it felt like a parody on movies of that time, but I don't think it was trying to do that. I don't know Maybe. if that makes I- any sense. Hmm. I think it was certainly self-aware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. This movie really, really worked for me. I saw it for the first time a couple weeks ago and kind of insisted that we do it for this podcast because I think it's a really interesting uh, example because I think a lot of times when we think about old movies, we think things that are super slow and super, like, kind of stodgy where it's like the, oh, well, gee, Miss Wallace, I sure would love to take you down to the sock hop later t- tonight. This is a movie that's like so sort of like fast paced and witty. I think it's really well paced. I think the, almost every joke still lands, 
And it's like really kind of explicit about like, yeah, adults have sex with each other. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that Fran, the Shirley MacLaine character, um, is never sort of judged for sleeping with a man who she's not married to, either by the film or by the character. So we were having this debate off mic before we started, but I kind of think this is a feminist film. Insofar and as like, I don't. Why? I just, I mean, I, I, I see that Fran is trying to be kind of progressive in the sense where she's like, I don't, I just don't want to be the other woman. But, and you know, in the end, she, she ends up with, with, what's his name? Baxter. Bud. I almost said, yeah. Bud. Um, she ends up with him, so like she, she gets what she wants, but. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like no one around her kind of learned what they were doing was wrong. Like, I just don't feel like any of the men kind of recognize that, yeah, you got to be faithful to your wife. Like, But isn't that a feminist message, though, of that, like, men will abuse you and throw you away and still not learn anything? I guess. Yeah, I guess. I guess, like, my argument, like, I don't think this is, like, I don't think we should, like, have a feminist film class and study this film. But I think that, like, I don't think the women are ever judged for what they're doing, either the wives or the other women. All, like, I think there, I think we see movies, like, today, where, like, it's, like, this man is cheating on his wife, it's this slut's problem. And it's, like, oh, if you are the other woman, you are, like, inherently, like, a bad woman. Well, in this one, it's, like, both these women are being screwed around by dudes with money. There was that scene where Sheldrake's current um, secretary, who was his former lover, or yeah. they, they had an affair, is talking to Fran, who is currently Sheldrake's lady. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, mistress? Mistress. I was going to say, like, side bitch, but that's, that was what she is. Um, <laughs> Speaking but, <you> know, of feminism... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. True, but there was that scene where, like, she's like, "Oh yeah, it'll be you, and it'll be someone else, and it'll be someone else, and that, that, that." So I don't know. That just like doesn't. But that specifically is a comment about him, not her. That's a specifically a comment about how he yeah, is. A, he's a little womanizer, madman esque guy, right? That's not a comment about her. Now the other the the argument I think the only argument that. In, in your favor, Claudia, uh, is the scene where uh, she lends, she gives Baxter her mirror, and he realizes that it's uh, that it's the broken mirror that he that, that yeah. uh, he gave to Sheldrake of the woman. Cause he yeah. didn't realize it was her. His his look his look towards her is not necessarily inherently judgmental, but it is a little bit. I guess what he what we are made to believe is he's just sad that she's sleeping with him and not her, not you know it's him. Right. He's sleeping way- with Sheldrake and not him. So, because I think that, like, on that, I think the journey of this film is, like, she doesn't really learn anything. He's, uh, J- the Jack Lemon character is the one who learns things. And so it's kind of about the, like, women kind of are just, like, kind of got to figure it out. And these just straight dudes just need to sort out their shit, is how I took it. And I and will so say, it's, the the turning point, the, like, the big decision that is made in the film is made by her. She leaves Sheldrake and goes to Baxter. Baxter doesn't get her he doesn't win she chooses to go to baxter right there that is that moment where baxter is going to leave he's going to move and then 
there she's at New Year's with um, Sheldrake and makes the decision where she says the line, which I, I wrote this in my notes because I love a romantic callback where she says the line, I guess that's the way it crumbles, the cookie-wise, which is a line Baxter said to her earlier. And I love a romantic callback like that. Ooh, I love that. It's my favorite <laughs> thing in the world. And in a rom-com, when they, when they like say a line that the other character said before and so it's like oh you cared and you listened i love that well and i feel like this could be in less good hands than billy wilder who i'm sure we'll talk about a lot because billy wilder is i think one of the most like undersung directors of american cinema but i think that in even today if this movie was made it would be a friend zone film right it'd be like look at this he's the nice guy and it kind of isn't where he's like doesn't at least is in my memory of it doesn't really ever feel like entitled to, to anything where he's like, why are you with this shitty guy? But it's not so much like, why are you with this shitty guy and not with me? It's like, this guy's a piece of shit. Like, why are yeah. you seeing him? I did write in my notes that I would love to see, like, the modern version of this movie. Because there are so many things of this that are timeless that don't, you know, that still are happening today. And what that dynamic would be like with social media involved or whatever. So. Do you know that there's a musical? There's a musical? No way. Promises, Promises. Oh, that's this? Yeah. I hate that musical. It's not great. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> that's a very interesting point, Claudia, because I don't know if this changes that much. I mean, like, mm-hmm. at the premise, it's this man who lives, works in this uh, giant robot cubicle office that, you know, is... is Lending his apartment out to these rich guys that are just trying to sleep around with their wives, um, and so he, you know, he tells his landlord that he's just some suave sex guy. But I mean, other than the fact that like he does kind of force her to stay in his apartment, and that's a little weird. Uh, like I don't know if if a lot changes. I don't know like what much changes. I mean, his relationship to her, I don't think changes. He's not in any way, shape, or form like looking down on her i mean obviously i think the jobs of the women change right there's not just secretaries or elevator workers but that's just a sign of the times i don't know if that's you know a comment on the movie itself i think it's just a sign of the times that is an interesting question of like is shirley mclean's character more empowered today because i think the sort of like tragedy of her character is that like which i think is true of women at this time of this time period is that like she really kind of had no recourse like, mm. like, without, like, single women in the 60s weren't really, like, you know, like, there weren't that many options for them. And so she was kind of in this, between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think we, like, would like to think that now she would report him to HR. But as we no, see, that doesn't not. always... No. Yeah. It sure doesn't. You know what I would have loved to see change in this film? Her mental state i mean the fact like i feel like the fact that she like tried to commit suicide and was like so close to being successful was just kind of like brushed under the rug like (laughs) oh stupid women stupid women just try to kill themselves don't go doing that again i was like ah that's touchy yeah trying to have a rom-com that also features uh a woman trying to kill herself by swallowing a whole lot of pills it's, it's a fine balance there, right? We wanted this to be fun, romantic movie about these two people and their wacky adventures. And, uh, she tried to kill herself. That's, yeah, that's a hard balance. I don't know how it you... It just uh... really goes to show, like, how far 
we have come so far, but we still have a lot, much more to grow, but how far we have come with, you know, talking about mental illness and suicide. I mean, it was literally a joking matter in this movie and I was so uncomfortable. Well, and I also think on that note, I, I like Shirley MacLaine, uh, her character isn't played as a manic pixie dream girl. She has feelings. She has emotions. I mean, I don't think she, right. I mean, she has her own sort of free will and decision making. I don't, I mean, I, uh, for, for 1960s, I mean, you know, that's pretty substantial. She doesn't seem like a very like female character, like that, that is here for the man and is. Mm-hmm. Just so fun and go lucky. Like she does have some sort of groundness in in. She has substance. In, in, yeah, that is kind of a really good point. Of that, like if we think about like the definition of manic pixie dream girl, it's like a a woman who kind of has no internal life who only exists to like lead a man through an emotional journey, and she kind of doesn't. She's kind of like, no, I'm having my own shit, dude. Like you go deal with your life. It's actually the other way around. He's the manic pixie. Baxter is the manic kind pixie of. dream guy. Yeah. Right, because he's so nice and positive and bubbly and has no real dark side. Like, he is the manic pixie dream guy in this sense. It's sort of a flipped on its head. Where she is this sort of character with substance and, and, and grippling with these sort of internal struggles. And he's just like, I think you're pretty. And, like, we're having fun. What's up? Like, he is just so overly positive and fun and charismatic and charming that it is almost as if he is the manic pixie dream guy. Well, and that's where I think we have to give a lot of, like put a lot of respect on Jack Lemmon's name where I think that like in the hands of a less good actor this character could be like a real asshole like you could yeah. really play Bud as like a monster who's just like views women as disposed yeah I mean even worse I think you play Bud as like this sniveling man that yeah. worships women's feet which I don't think he does right he's not just like this women are gods women are god. like I, you know he sees her as a person he's just a very very kind charismatic loving human being who just loves gin which, rummy uh, is a fine line <laughs> yeah loves gin like, rummy. which is a fine line i think um i think it's actor. wild that the two of them never kiss in this film so so wild like it's just... do they never kiss in this film no, no i the the final image in my mind should have been the two of them like embracing and the music swells and that like classic like old timey mm-hmm. movie ending and it just wasn't. It was like, we're playing cards now. The end. And that's they never it. kiss in this film. I know. And that's no. what I love. I guess that's what I love about it is that if it happened, they, that embrace at the end. It's like, oh, but in this one, it's like, this isn't the last line is that he's like, you know, like, I, I, I love you. And she's like, shut up and deal. Where it's like, look, yeah. like, Thank you. which is like so much what like relationships are to me, like in a real, that sounds really dark. But like, no, is I think that's so <clears> like, <throat> they have so much trust between them already because they went through this kind of terrible thing together. That I think, which like I think Chandler's right, is that like the one thing that does kind of poke a hole in the feminist credentials of this movie is that he like doesn't let her leave. <laughs> like he kind yeah, of low key kidnaps her. This woman in his apartment, yeah. which no yeah, good, very sure. bad. Don't do it. We don't. We don't stand. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> but, yeah, but also, she had access to a phone the entire time she was there, and she chose not to call her family. So yeah. that to me, I'm like, no. Remember, he said he can't, she 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 can't call her family. He made that I, distinction. He advised against it, but he never, like, prevented her. I don't think he was Uh, like, do not call your family. He was just like, maybe you shouldn't be at the phone right now. Go lie down. You're sick. Ah. I love the the visualization of, like, the office space, where it's this, like, cold, 
like robotic machine looking office where it's like the rows and rows and rows of you get people. a lot of um symmetry and like all those like straight lines which is harsh sometimes to look at and yeah the, yeah yeah so i, thought I don't know like great. what that is that like that's is that art direction i don't even know what art direction yeah. is yeah i'd say that's yeah. art direction sure <laughs> i will say though that my favorite character in the movie is his next door neighbor the doc yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. what are you doing? The doctor. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, I, I want to examine your body. You're having so much sex. When you die, let me look at your body. There's no way you're living from this. Yeah. <laughs> I took, like, really weird notes during this. Like, I was just, like, going off. And my one note about the doctor is borderline abuse doc. I have no idea what it's about, but he, that's he what I He slapped the chair out of her. Oh, yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, oh, okay. yes. Yes, I have that note there where he was just like, this is not, like, what was my note was like, this is not how doctors work. This man just slaps this woman repeatedly like, wake up! This is not how doctors that work being at said, all. I didn't know somebody who once told me the story of her suicide attempt, who she, the way it worked was that if she fell asleep before the pills were out of her system, she would die. And so then it was uh, a, like, do whatever it takes to keep this person awake. Oh. That being well, said, okay. I can't imagine that modern medical science would just slap the shit out of you. No, my favorite character is the secretary. Specifically for the one scene where um, uh, Fran is with Sheldrake and, like, the first time they meet in that restaurant. Um, and they're walking out as, as the secretary is sitting down. And to spy, she puts on her sunglasses, her, like, shady sunglasses, just to spy on these people <laughs> walking out. Doing her little like shady, shady spying, and then immediately takes off the sunglasses. So we're made to believe that those sunglasses are only for her snooping around people <laughs> and getting news and business. I need the energy Miss Olsen has, so I, I'm she's obsessed her with the best. Olsen. She is because she literally puts on those. She sees them, uh, goes, "Oh, I got to put on my sunglasses to do some snooping." They leave, and then she takes off her sunglasses. She literally just put them on as a character choice of, of her being I, I don't know what the labor laws of the 60s were like, but I feel like, given that she was explicitly fired because she told his wife he was having an affair, I feel like she has a case for wrongful termination. Oh, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> like, absolutely. She has a pretty Definitely. strong case. But also, doesn't it make the job of like being an elevator attendant look like the worst job in the world? Yeah, it also, it, but it also just showed, like, how rich this company was to have a separate elevator attendant for each elevator to just press buttons all day. Like, why oh, that's, could have just done that? That's a, that's like a rich, rich thing to me. Yeah, that's also the times, though. Like, yeah, outdated. Yeah, this it's not is, a thing anymore. Yeah, but. this is still the times where like you had elevator attendants. She's attracted to Bud just because he's the only man who doesn't sexually harass her, and takes off his hat. Yes. Yeah, she's like, like, you take off your hat every day. I was like, no, he's the only one who's not, like, sexually assaulting you every day. Like, you need to get yeah, out right, of this right, company. Right. I don't know if she really likes B Baxter then. He's just a nice person. And, like, she's <laughs> never met a nice man because they're yeah. all slapping her ass and sexually harassing her yeah. all day long. So that's a low bar that Baxter's reaching. I have a note that just says, bitch, why can't you see what you need and what is good for you is right in front of you with about 12 explanation points. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a very similar note where... Uh, it just says um, all, this entire movie would be solved if people would just explain themselves. If Baxter would just explain the situation, this entire movie would not have happened. <laughs> yes, this is also part of a, a subgenre of films that I uh, am an, an expert in, which is movies that would be solved by one conversation about, about polyamory, 
where of course, <laughs> literally yeah. one conversation. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like fifty percent. The rom com I'll talk about later, and the, like what we've been watching this week is that as well. Where you're like literally just sit everybody down and pitch it. Also, Ezra, uh, you may know more about this. Um, this was released in 1960. Uh, we had colored films at the time. Was this just mm-hmm. because it was more expensive to have colored films? It was just a budget issue, or I mean, because I don't know. Wizard of Oz I think it was just like a 19... stylistic thing. Okay, so what do we gain stylistically from it being in black and white? I don't know. I might take a little jab at that question. I don't know. Um, I'll go back to what I was kind of saying earlier, how it sort of feels like it's a parody. It feels it feels kind of farcical to me. Like, mm-hmm. I, okay. I was, like, almost waiting for there to be a scene with, like, the four doors and, like, just the, the people going in and out. <laughs> like, I really thought there was going to be a scene where Baxter was going to have, like, a woman in his apartment and, like, another couple were going to be, like, trying. We almost got it, but we didn't quite get exactly what I was expecting. Um, but I have a note that early on in the film, we're seeing kind of Baxter's everyday life and what he does to fill his day. And obviously one of them is just watching TV and he's watching whatever he's watching. It's very animated. It's very over the top. It's very, Oh yes. That's a great scene. Yeah. Unreal. It's very like unrealistic. And it's like that to me. And I think for a lot of people that aren't like film people or like, pe- like, I don't know. I never consider myself like, Oh, I'm, I love movies. But, like, for your average, like, Joe Schmo, when I think of, like, black and white movies, I think, like, big, over the top, like, kind of not real life. Like, it just is not realistic to me. (laughs) And so Mm. that's sort of what I was like, oh, okay, so what we're watching Baxter watch on TV is what this movie is going to be like. But then it wasn't. Um, I don't know if that made any sense at all. but Totally. No, I was, uh, that that uh, that's actually an interesting juxtaposition, Claudia. That that I don't know if that's inherently true, but that juxtaposition of like what he is watching in in this black and white of of everything being crazy and intense, because that is a really cool sequence of like this whole world around him and everything's like going and like there's all this action and blah 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 blah. Um, with the juxtaposition of 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 his life being in black and white, but it's still being simplistic. I think it's actually uh, maybe the answer that we're looking for. But that's actually interesting. I don't know. But I imagine it has to be a budget thing, right? They had to have I would assume, probably. Like... Uh, can I read some of the negative reviews that this film received? Yeah. Of course. Uh, Esquire magazine called it a paradigm of corny avant-gardism. Uh, and the Saturday Review called it a dirty fairy tale. And people were so offended by um, how like crass the movie was in terms of sex that they... Uh, that, uh, Apparently, women would assault one of the actors in the street and scream at him for making a dirty, filthy movie and hit and hit them with their purse. Oh, oh my! Oh I just my. love that there were the, there was a time when like someone watched the the apartment. They're like, "This is some avant garde bullshit." <laughs> oh, okay. We have to talk about we have to talk about how Ezra went uh, back into the nineteen sixties and wrote the line where he grabs he he looks at, into her broken mirror. And he says, oh, it's broken. And she says, I like it that way. It makes me feel the way, it makes me look the way I feel. I didn't know that you wrote this film, Ezra. I quoted that exactly. And then I wrote dot, 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 dark. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me feel the way I, it makes you look the way I feel is the most Ezra line about a a broken mirror I've ever heard in my life. I can't, no wonder you love this so much. That would be a whole monologue for (laughs) me. It would be a whole monologue. Get three pages out of that. (laughs) 
<laughs> about the duality of this person's inner turmoil. <laughs> I was I, I heard that line. I was like, oh my god! Of course, Ezra loves this film so much. It freaking it makes me look. No, but I think it's you. like I think it's like the perfect romantic comedy, and I think that because I think so many romantic comedies get like really treacly. Where it's like, these people are great. And you're like, cool, I don't give a shit. Or they become like so like cynical. You're like, these people just hate each other. Well, in this one, I think you totally understand why both the characters like each other. And then the problems that are in their way are like obviously contrived because it's a film. But they like, I think you're right that like this film could be solved by a conversation. But I think like 95% of rom-coms could be solved by like a text. Where it's like, I saw you talking to that girl. And then you'd be like, yeah, yeah, that was my sister. She's like, oh, I thought you were having an affair. But like, it's like, I saw him talking to a girl. Time to move out of the apartment and take the kids. And you're like, what? And I think that like, this is much more, I think, grounded in human psychology. Which I think mm. is a testament to Billy Wilder as both a director and a writer. Because um, if you guys haven't seen his like filmography, it's like amazing. He did um, Some Like It Hot, which is the Marilyn Monroe film. He did Sunset Boulevard. He did Double Indemnity. He did Witness for the Prosecution. I, I wrote, as I, in my notes, I'm reading it right now. Ezra, how dare you call this a rom-com? This is depressing. I was not depressed. I laughed the whole way through. Maybe you are depressed. <laughs> Fran and Baxter's life is hard. Like, they both have hard lives. Yeah. It's not, life is, life is hard being in the city. Fun life. Yeah, but that's not, that's like, fair. it's kind of sad to see these people, like, struggle. This poor woman is just trying to get this man to love her that is a, he's a, he's a jerk. Like it's part of know. the hustle. Yeah, I felt seen. I was like, I was like, I know Baxter's, I know Franz. <laughs> all, all of us well, yeah. were just pounding the pavement trying to find, trying to find some love. And there's no, there's no love in the city. It says the two, <laughs> says the two people in very happy, committed relationships to the single person. Great, thanks. Yeah, so you um, know it, you're Baxter. I saw a lot of you I, in Baxter. Absolutely, yes. I know the struggle of, of New York City romance life, but it is, it's rough. So I wouldn't say it's a depressing film, but it's a realistic film. And yeah, it's music. a realistic rom-com, no, which makes it the best Depressing rom-com. was a, a hyperbole, but yes. What, what all did this win for, again? Picture, director, screenplay, art direction, and film editing were all of its wins. But it was also nominated for actor, actress, supporting actor, cinematography, and sound. Um, it won film editing. Mm-hmm. Which I guess sure. <laughs> See, I thought I thought the editing was, it felt uh, ahead of its time. I guess like yeah. for older, yeah. it felt like quicker actually... and um, the tracking of like what the actor is doing, like the camera follows the actor as opposed to just cut to what the actor was doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That felt yeah. that felt more modern. Um, I guess it's just up against. Spartacus. I actually think the editing is. I actually think the editing is brilliant. Yeah, the pacing is fantastic, I think, in this film. That's true. The pacing that's is so point. well done. Yeah. And I think that's specifically because of the editing. I, like, I mean, it, the editing seems simplistic. It's not like, you know, like Birdman, but I think the editing is really, really well done. Um, it, is, it, it is interesting that Shirley MacLaine loses to one of the most infamous wins in Oscar history. Who is which it? Is? Uh, Elizabeth Taylor in Butterfield 8. Which they gave Elizabeth Taylor that Oscar because they hadn't given her one yet, and they thought she was about to retire. And then she made um, "Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf" like two years later, mm. and so she won like mm. two very close together, and one for a movie that nobody gives a shit about anymore. How did you happen upon this movie, Ezra? I okay. So my quarantine watches are going through like incre- increasingly like esoteric 
Um, so this was during my like at the like second week of quarantine. It was just like best picture winners. So I was watching like Rain Man and shit, and so I watched it because of that. Uh, before I transitioned, of course, into rom coms and then action movies, and now into foreign films. Great. So like, is the, like mm. you just said, um, who Shirley MacLaine lost to mm-hmm. was um, Elizabeth Taylor for a movie we don't really talk about anymore. Yeah. Is this a movie that we talk about, or is are we just talking about it for the sake of the podcast? I would say the apartment is pretty beloved in the like film communities. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure. I was actually I was reading this Reddit post about like how to get into old movies and they were like the movies to get people into old movies is the apartment oh okay i i feel that like yeah totally i usually like when i see like that there's a we're gonna watch an old movie or something or it's like oh i have to watch this old movie it's like mm-hmm. oh it's a chore but this one yeah. i mean it was enjoyable for all the things that i'm like tearing <laughs> it apart but like it was enjoyable it's a it's definitely a fun movie i see why it is a rom-com i'm i'm kidding when i yeah, say it's totally. depressing but like what you said it feels real and the oscar goes to great so we're gonna uh transition into our little segment called uh should it have won and we're gonna go through all of the categories that this film was nominated for as well as what it was up against and we'll kind of to the best of our ability and to the best of our knowledge discuss how if we feel that this movie should have won for that particular category. So we'll turn to our film buff expert yeah. over here. So Ezra. So we're going to start off with film editing. Um, the Apartment 1. Um, other, also nominated in that category were The Alamo, Inherit the Wind, Pepe, and Spartacus. Uh, have you guys seen any of these movies? I've, I feel like I've seen like part of Spartacus. Me too. I, I've also like, seen I don't think I've seen the whole of the entire thing, but I feel like I've seen parts. I think I might have seen Inherit the Wind. Uh, Inherit the Wind is so good. Yeah, I feel like I've seen Inherit the Wind, but I don't... What is Inherit the Wind about? So Inherit the Wind is about the Spokes Monkey, Spokes Monkey trial, where they put the evolutionist on trial. Oh, they, yes. I don't know if um, I was obsessed with the Spokes Monkey trial as a kid. Uh, and my fun story is the only essay I ever got perfect on in AP U.S. history was my essay on uh, Scopes, the Scopes Monkey Trial and my crazy fucking teacher uh, left comments about how really creationists aren't that bad. And I was like, what the fuck? This oh. is a history paper. What? But I have, I've seen, I haven't seen all of, all of Spartacus, which is a Kubrick film um, that has become memefied by the I am Spartacus of it all. Um, given that it's Kubrick, I'm sure it's phenomenal and also it's apparently super gay but they had to cut all the gay shit out um huh. uh, yeah i give it i give it to, i give it to the apartment have fun so for best cinematography black and white the nominees are sons and lovers which wins the facts of life inherit the wind the apartment and psycho Oof, okay psycho. so a couple things on this Note: This is a they, they're separating categories by colored films and, and black and white films. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a thing we don't do today. Also, um, uh, I'm we're gonna move forward saying with a lot of these we probably don't know other than Psycho being one of the greatest films of all time and definitely should have won all the Oscars this year. And I'm a little upset that it didn't. But it's fine. We're moving on. I don't know. I mean, I think I guess yeah. For, for cinematography, I guess I give it to Psycho. Yeah. Absolutely. What? What one? Psycho has... Sons and Lovers. 
don't know. Psycho it, so. has one, one of the most infamous shots in horror movie history. Is that the shot of the shower? That's that cinematography of that scene where where uh, he murders her in the shower is brilliant. We'll, we'll do a Psycho episode later. But for art direction, uh, the the apartment wins. Also nominated are Facts of Life, Psycho, Sons and Lovers, and Visit to a Small Planet. I think I give this to the apartment. Yeah, I agree. I really think just art direction we kind of talked about a little bit earlier but it's just the the setup the setup of each um like set scene and i think his apartment is like you know you see all the you see the music you see the the christmas tree and the the what the racket that he uses for his um pasta straining it's just i think it's just fun um i particularly love his the setup of his desk when he's still kind of like lower on the totem pole he's got his um i don't know the rolodex. actual word the rolodex um and then he's got his book like his planner and his his calendar his schedule and then he's got like all these other different things it's just you really see the like okay i gotta pay attention to this and then i gotta pay attention to this and i gotta pay attention to this. it's just it's fun so i i agree i think this deserved the win uh for best sound uh, it uh, it lost to the Alamo. Also nominated were Cimarron, Pepe, and Sunriser Campobello. I would assume the Alamo is a war film, which probably has a more sort of intense sound design. So I have no problem oh, assuming yeah. the Alamo probably should have won. Original screenplay, it wins. Also nominated are Angry Silence, Facts of Life, Hiroshima, comma My Love, and Never on Sunday. Uh, yeah, I've seen all I've of those films. I've never fil- heard of any of those other films. Uh, Hiroshima, comma, my love is really just a... I'm kidding. Um, for Best Supporting Actor, um, the man who plays the Doctor, um, Jack Christian, is nominated. Um, he loses to Peter Ustinov in Spartacus. Also nominated are Peter Falk from Murder, Inc., Sal Minow for The Exodus, and Chill, Will- and Chill Willis for The Alamo. My opinion for this is I am really surprised that um sheldrake wasn't nominated for supporting actor because i mean the doctor is a fun character but i didn't think it was like oscar worthy no oscar no No. like um so yeah i don't i he i don't think he deserved to win but i do think that um sheldrake's sheldrake deserved to be at least nominated uh yeah peter ustinov is one of the great actors of the stage and screen so i'm happy he has an oscar and if he had to get it for spartacus more power to him uh best actress uh elizabeth taylor wins for butterfield eight beating shirley mclean for the apartment greedy uh, garrison for sunrise at compello deborah kerr for the sundowners and melinda mckinner for never on sunday i think she does really i think she's really good in this i agree i think she uh, i think her performance is really kind of uh, ahead of its time I think she does really good work. Yeah, I give it. I definitely. I I agree. I think Shirley um, could have taken this one home. I think it's. She does a great. She does great work. Um, but we we love Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, of course. So you know, not mad that she. Yeah, won. we absolutely. We stand. Oh, absolutely. Um, best actor Jack Lemmon is nominated. He loses to Burt Lancaster for Elmer Gantry. Also nominated are Trevor Howard for Sons and Lovers. Laurence Olivier for The Entertainer, and Spencer Tracy for Inherit the Wind. I think Jack Lemmon does great work. Incredible. Um, but again, I haven't seen the other movies, so can't really speak to their the other nominated actors' performances, but 
I think he at least deserved the nomination, if not the win. So. Yeah, because I think I think his character is very could very easily fall into like a just a bumbling idiot positive thing. Because I mean, like his character is almost a masochist. He's just constantly accepting blame and you know letting everything be his fault and just taking the blame for everything. And that that could fall apart really easily without a good actor, I think. And so I think he does really good. Yeah. That being said, and I agree with all that, Spencer Tracy in Inherit the Wind is mind-bogglingly good. But he didn't mm. win either. No. You're saying. So who won? Um, working. Um, Burt Lancaster for Elmer Gantry. Elmer Gantry is a 1960 American drama film about a con man and a female evangelist selling religion to small-town America. Ooh. I mean... That kind of sounds right. incredible. The poster is just a wall of text, which I'm going to read, which is, You're all sinners. You're all burn in hell. Tell him, Gandry, save him from sin. Lead him to salvation. Tell him about everything, but not about your whiskey and your women. Best Director, uh, Billy Wilder wins for this, uh, beating Jules Dessun for Never on Sunday, Alfred Hitchcock for Psycho, Jack Carter for Sons and Lovers, and Fred Zimmerman for The Sundowners. Okay, wrong. Alfred Hitchcock deserved an Oscar for... But I Billy Wilder also deserved an Oscar. I think it's tough. I don't know. Is this his only win? I believe so. Let me look that up. Okay, so that like yeah. to me, I'm like, oh well, then he deserves his one win because he is also no, he he great. won for lost, he won for uh, lost the lost weekend. This is his second best Oscar for for best director. Oh okay, yeah. well then Alfred Hitchcock yeah totally because yeah um yeah Alfred Hitchcock uh, Psycho cannot be understated how how important Psycho is to to horror and I absolutely Alfred Hitchcock deserved that Oscar. He, this movie's great, the direction's fun, but. Psycho is a feat of engineering. I like it's incredible. Well, it just so. goes to show that like throughout all of Oscar history, thrillers and horrors have kind of been snubbed and not recognized. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. 100%. Uh, best picture, uh, The Apartment Wins beating The Alamo, Elmer Gantry, Sons and Lovers and The Sundowner. Can I read you the plot synopsis of The Sundowners? I suppose. You're going to anyways. So. I am. The Sundowners is a 1960 Technicolor film that tells the story of an Australian outback family torn between the father's desires to continue his nomadic sheep herding ways and the wife and son's desire to settle down in one place. So five films dominated for Best Picture are a movie about a, a movie about a guy who rents out his apartment so his bosses can fuck other women in him, a movie about a con man using religion to dupe small town America, um, a movie about a British guy who can't fuck because his mom's in the way, and a movie about a guy who just wants to herd sheep, and then a movie about the Alamo. <laughs> those are your five best picture nominees. With those um, quick sort of preschool-esque um, uh, synopses you've given us, Ezra, like sort of one-liners, I I agree that the yeah. department should have won. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give it to the department. Yeah. Fantastic. So we're going to end this week as we end every week with what have, what have we been watching this week? Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Um, I've, I've been watching, um, unironically, I've been watching a, a lot of uh, wood carving videos on YouTube just to, because I'm, I'm starting to, a wood carving as a hobby in quarantine because I'm bored and there's nothing to do. Um, so I recently watched the Adam Sandler, Nicole Kidman, uh, vehicle, uh, just go with it. Um, because I really like Nicole Kidman, uh, and that film is a war crime. And that's all we need to say about that. <laughs> that's all we need to say about it. 
I recently finished uh, Middle Ditch and Schwartz on Netflix. Very fun. They're um, about 45 minute long episodes and it's all long form improv. It's done in front of a live really? audience, which RIP. But <laughs> just so fun because I love watching like stand up on Netflix and sometimes, you know, it just gets kind of old and we feel like we've seen all, we've heard all of these jokes before. And improv is just, I feel like, a, a medium that isn't showcased enough in other mediums um you only kind of can see it live and in person but this was sort of starting the the conversation of how we can maybe do this in the future when we're allowed to be with each other again (laughs) totally all right so that's about all we have for you guys today if you liked what you heard be sure to Subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Follow us. um, Give us a rating and a review. We are on Instagram, so be sure to keep up with us there at htbn.podcast. Bye. Bye, friends. Bye. Bye.